Hey, hey, welcome back to Stub Me Down. My name is JW. As always, I am joined for episode one of season two by my best friend Skinny, who is two doses in, and that would be two doses of coronavirus vaccine. Skinny, say hello to the people. Hey, man, what's up, everybody? Yes, I have. I got them. So I'm pretty happy. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Plus, I'm old, so I don't, I'm supposed to get them before all you young people out there. So, yeah, man, I'm excited. It's really exciting to be back and talk about some music, man. It's definitely got a hole in my heart. So it's good to see you. It's good to talk to you as always. I know you're old, but I didn't realize you were in one of those priority groups. But that, that's good. Hopefully, I'll be getting my shots soon. Trying to make sure that people like you get first priority before the young and healthy. You never know. I might I might be president one day. So. You never know. 25 years. Watch out, America. That's right. That's right. So we are here. This is awesome. We have not recorded a traditional episode, Skinny, of Stub Me Down for quite some time. Of course, we did couple of special episodes, three special episodes to be exact. In the first special episode, how about that jam? We took a look at just a couple of tunes. You picked out a tune, I picked out a tune. We had a great conversation about that music. The second and third special episodes, they were really fucking cool, man. They were really cool. In the first one of those, it was a pair of episodes we did. In the first one, we brought my dad, Papa Dubs, Bill White, on to the show, and he told us about his experience with music and how that impacted him and in circular fashion, obviously impacted me as a music fan. And it was really cool, very special to have him on. The second part of that series, Connecting the Notes, we had a great friend of originally yours, but now also mine. Ours. Ours, yes. My apologies, Skinny. Mike Bornshore, B-Man, join us. And he and you talked about a time and a place, which I also thought was very cool and a little bit different than what we did with the first special episode, but told a really cool story about you. I mean, in this very impactful part of your life were playing music and listening to different music than what you had kind of identified as music that you listened to. And that is also a really, really cool episode. Hey, man, thanks. I enjoyed doing it. The thing I say to younger people all the time about music is, you know, expand your horizons now and keep all that stuff. I still do. I, I listened to some of the stuff we talked about in that episode. There's nothing wrong with putting on the album standing on the beach by the cure you know at my age i got i don't need to prove it's art so with art you know you might like pollock you might like monet but you might hate picasso and love matisse even though they're kind of like the same <laughs> but i mean this isn't an art show <laughs> no it's not an art show but it's funny because those historical perspectives from you and from uh, myself, they're different stories, of course, but I think that's what brings us all together as music fans is we like to talk to each other about these different stories, these different passions, this different heart, whether it be a jam or a song. That's what I love about it. And I loved all those conversations. I really had such a great time with your dad, such a great time with B-Man. And then, you know, 
as always, I have such a great time with you talking about our favorite thing, which I think I figured something out that my favorite thing really beyond my family and, and friends is, is music. It, it's really important. It is. And it's a huge hole at this point of our lives to not have music, right? To not be able to go to a show. It's been hard. There's no doubt about it. This week coming up is basically a year since the world shut down. We missed tour last year. Obviously, they canceled it. There were a lot of other shows that we didn't get to go to. And there's still some uncertainty about what this year might look like. Trey, actually, Trey Anastasio was on a local TV station in Vermont talking about the Divided Sky Foundation which if you're not familiar with the Divided Sky Foundation, Trey started and the proceeds from the Beacon Jams went to the Divided Sky Foundation, which is a rehabilitation center that Trey is heavily involved with. And he gave a little bit of an interview about that and then talked a little bit about maybe some music coming up. He was very vague. He had a secret. He didn't want to say it, but he did want to say it. The implication is that somehow, some way, Fish will play something at some point this year, which is about as vague as you can probably get with regard to that. But I come away with this thinking, hey, if he's confident that maybe they'll be able to do something, then maybe we should be confident too. And it will be interesting when this episode is released where we stand with these things. We we swung and missed on the beacon jams. I know. <laughs> Trey doesn't want to perform via stream, although those were his own words. And, you know, thank God he did the beacon jams. Those were awesome. Oh, yeah. Huge. Nonetheless, the optimism of Big Red in potentially playing music at some point this year, it definitely made me smile. I got jazzed up a little bit. So who knows? Yeah, I was going to tell you, I mean, one of the only line that I really remember from that interview, I watched it, you know, probably twice, I think, and there's a light at the end of the tunnel. So why not start thinking about things that are positive? I'm not spreading conspiracy theories. I wear my mask. We both have jobs. You know, you follow mandates to keep other people safe. It's a simple thing, man. I don't know why that is so confusing. <laughs> like, that's what makes me kind of mad because I want to go see these things. I'm glad that he's like, yeah, well... You know, if we get to these certain points, maybe this really will all be over. That would be awesome if it's dicks, because we have tickets for dicks. <laughs> We're AC. We have tickets for that. Like that was supposed to be. Amy had planned a 50th birthday party for me, and it was at AC and dicks. It was going to be and wedding now, it, which got thrown in there at the last minute. Just a crazy, crazy year. I'm glad him. He's saying that we love it so much in our house and the kids. I know your family is the same, so it's it's awesome to hear him say that. Don't tell my wife, but she's like you, man. You fucking summer birthday people. She gets a birthday show pretty much every year. So if everything goes according to plan, this year Fish is going to be playing Deer Creek, and her birthday is the middle night of that three-night run. So I bought tickets and booked us a room. Not long after Trey's comments. So had to add three more. We already have Hershey, but that's inside. So I don't know what the situation's going to be. I mean, I'll wear a freaking hazmat suit if I need to, you know, if it's inside. And then we had AC on the block. Dix is still 
it's just Dix is calling me, man. <laughs> right. You're like Chris Rock, man, in New Jack City. It's calling me, man. I mean, you know, it's funny because <laughs> tell Megan, I said, summer birthdays, it's all about us. <laughs> Camden, a couple years in a row. Camden, the man. I mean, she's just, it's just. I've been to festivals on my birthday. It's amazing. So sorry. My birthday's in a couple of days and nobody plays on March 12th. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, dude. (laughs) That's not true. We went and saw Steve Kimmock band on my birthday five years ago. That was cool. It was actually on my birthday. So I have a poster signed by Steve Kimmock and it says March 12th. So that's kind of cool. We saw RRE too one time on your birthday. Get out of here. We've done stuff on your birthday. Don't be all sad. (laughs) Well, before we get too into the weeds on all of that. We are here. This is, as I mentioned, the first episode of season two of Stub Me Down. And we did those special episodes. Today marks the return of the traditional Stubby Down format. I will be stubbing Skinny Down today to get us started. I'm really excited. When I pulled this show, I was at first a little torn. The fact that we get to take a look at this one, I think is going to be a great discussion. There's a ton of great music to talk about, and it's an interesting spot on the timeline. So I'm really excited to get into this one. You got anything else to add before we, uh, before we get into this thing? No, I'm excited to get down to the traditional format of Stub Me Down. If you are new to Stub Me Down, the premise of the show is over the years, Skinny and I have collected countless ticket stubs from shows that we have been to. We pull a stub from that collection and we use that concert as a jumping off point to talk about music, our friendship, and the stories that go into the experiences we've had over the years. The tradition continues. The tradition returns and continues. And with that, Skinny, are you ready for me to stub you down? I absolutely am, man. Let's do this. All right, all right. Well, we are starting season two with a really, really good fish show. I would even say a nearly epic show from Saratoga Performing Arts Center, SPAC, on Saturday, June 19th, 2004. This was the first night of a two-night run-up at SPAC, and this was right at the beginning of the 2004 summer tour, which was slated to be Fish's last summer tour. On May 25th, so we had already had tickets. On May 25th, the band announced that they were going to be breaking up and that Coventry, which was going to be their two-day end-of-summer festival, was going to be the last fish shows ever played. So going into this was a little bit weird, I have to say. You, You had the end on the horizon. We had a limited number of shows we were hitting. We were only hitting four shows this summer, including the two Coventry shows. So each show that we saw of those four carried more and more significant weight with it. Was this going to be the last time we would see whatever song they were playing that night? 
How would the band react? Where would their energy level be? But this show, actually this two-night run, was really, really good. They played a lot of great music, some epic jams, which we'll get to. But it was weird for me, Skinny, because we went to these two shows. They played so well. There was that feeling of like, what are they doing, man? Why are they quitting? Why are they jumping out? They sound great. They sound, for the most part, there obviously there were some qualifications and you know some letdowns and some flubs and things like that. But they were also really playing most things very well. Maybe we were just fortunate in the shows that we got to see before Coventry that you know we caught them at the right time, but it was. A kind of a sad time, but we caught a couple of banging shows. Yeah, I'm so glad that this is the first uh, show of this season because the re-listen, it's so good. There's so many nuggets. Of course, I'm always the one to give everything away, but I had been through it once with this band and I had just gotten into them. So I'm like, dude, again? I'm thinking, why? Yeah, why? What? And I was getting into the fact that, look, philosophically, I was sold. Like, you know, I'll buy your marriage. I'll go to your shows. I, I love the summer. You know, I'm a big music fan. So it, I had already liked it a couple of years ago when I first saw it. And I had already seen one stoppage. Now I have to do an endure with this is it. So I guess maybe I, I was probably a little bit sad, but I was like, ah, I've been through it before. I mean, you know, Jerry died, you know, and we, we all survived. He would want that. Uh, <laughs> Jerry's a good guy. I had gotten into this and they stopped. And then maybe at some point I would have to say even well, a little bit annoyed kind of at that. But because I think that's a great point that you make there. Like, again, like what? Like you're telling a friend, like you're going out with that girl again. Come on, man. <laughs> and as I said, when I mentioned this a little bit earlier. I was a little bit hesitant after I pulled this stub, but then I get a little perspective and realize that everybody's healthy now. When the band can play again, they will play again, whether you want to fucking call it 4.0. I don't care what the hell you call it. As long as they're playing again, I'm happy. So knowing that obviously this was a, a tough time, the vibe, the energy at these shows was a little bit weirder. People were, I think, a little bit more intoxicated. There was a lot more feelings running around aside from just that joy and elation. It really was kind of a manic depressive environment at times. But knowing that we are where we are now and the fact that just because this happened to be on their breakup tour doesn't mean that this music isn't worth going back and, and re-listening to for sure. Well, you know, when I think about this show, I remember driving up. It's the beginning of summer, mid-June, and beautiful. Uh, that part of the country is amazing. You get up into Saratoga. I remember the venue specifically. I didn't necessarily like, like, I'll, I'll go over that in a sec, but the outside of the venue with the park there was so much fun, and it was beautiful. You know, I hate everybody talks about the weather. Yeah, it was so beautiful, but it really, really was. You want to catch a show, it's back. You want a nice day. I mean, come on, let's be honest. So that part I remember, but the venue itself is strange. It has 
a balcony seating above their shed. So in the shed seating and then a balcony above that. And there's these three rivulets that go up into that balcony. I don't know why they need three of them, but they kind of take up the entire lawn. And I remember remarking about that a couple of times, like, I don't like this. It was so small and kind of crowded in. I felt some of that energy that you're talking about. It's coming to a close, but the band was on fire this night, definitely. It, it's so good. Yeah. That was a cool lot scene, too. I don't know if you remember, I got a really sweet shirt. As I've mentioned on previous episodes of Stub Me Down, I'm a, I'm a set book nerd and keep the set. And so there was a shirt that I bought. It was this blue shirt and it had a drawing of a notebook on the front and said set one was basically 1.0, set two was 2.0, and the encore was Coventry. And then on the back, it said, where do you go when the lights go out? I got to see if I still have that one. I'm sure I do somewhere. I'm sure you should break that out, especially where we are now. We're waiting again. (laughs) We're waiting again. So God knows what the shirts will look like on apparently what's 4.0. But, you know, who cares? I just want to see them. People didn't even have a chance to get the Rescue Squad merch in full effect on tour. I know. I know. That that, that market died quick. <laughs> no offense. No offense. Too soon? Too soon, Ida. <laughs> so anyway, back to the show. So this show, Skinny, this was my 30th, if you can believe that. This was my 30th fish show. This was the third night of this tour. They played a couple shows in April And the infamous Vegas show that basically everybody holds up as one of their worst. But they started this tour in Brooklyn. And we went to, not the show, but we went to the movie theater. This was one of the, really one of the first real simulcasts I feel like they ever did. We went to a movie theater in Columbia, Maryland, a bunch of us, and drank a bunch of beers in the parking lot and went and watched the first night of tour from the movie theater. They played another night in Brooklyn. That's the night that Jay-Z came out. And then the third show of tour was this one at SPAC. So while we knew that the days were numbered and our shows specifically were numbered, this was a pretty good show. I remember going in pretty excited just to be there and be a part of it all. And that's the thing, you know, when something like this is coming to an end, you want to get as much of it as you can. While we did not see a lot of shows on this summer tour, I think we made the most of what we did see. I do have memories of that, man. I definitely think we made the most of what was happening and some things are just out of your control. If it was going to be one last ride, we were down for it and We were mentally prepared, whatever that means. (laughs) (laughs) Mentally prepared to go to concerts. It's like, I don't know, is that an oxymoron? But yeah, so I I totally agree with you, man. But I remember we had a good time. And listening to this again always sparks memories for me. So you want to get into this thing or what? Yeah, yeah, let's take a look at the show. All right, great. First set, Reba, Runaway Jim. NICU or NICU, I don't care how you want to say it. Sense and Subtle Sounds, Wolfman's, Walls of the Cave, and Bowie to end the set. 
So, a show opening Reba. What's up, J-Dub? What do you got for me? Am I catching you off guard? Which is what I usually do. <laughs> yeah, that's a rarity. That's a rarity. And I know I'm the stats guy. I'm the, we'll, we'll talk a little fish nerdery here. But when you look at a show on paper, you know, there are things that catch your eye right away whether it's you know length of a jam or placement this is one of those that's going to catch your eye right reba never opens a show and in fact i think it's only opened a show maybe 10 times with eight of those times being prior to 1992. they opened it here the last time they had opened it before then was i think july 6 of 2000 i think they were in canada or something Starting off a show with a Reba is very cool. And while we're talking about this Reba, I do want to give a shout out to the Reba Project. Some Twitter friends that the Stummy Down Twitter account has made. The Reba Project is listening to, it's kind of crazy actually. The Reba Project is listening to every Reba from 1993, 1994, and 1995. And the guy that organized it has created this spreadsheet and people can rank the Rebas, leave some remarks, some comments. When we get through, then we're gonna basically take all of those averages and figure out what the best ones during that time period were. So I've listened to a lot of Rebas in the last few months, but very, some very cool people too, very, very knowledgeable. I mean, the guy that's doing it is doing venue reviews, some really fun fish nerdery stuff that somebody like me just digs right into. So shout out to the Reba Project. I can't wait to continue that journey. But this Reba here, it was a little bit weird. This was only my sixth Reba out of 30 shows. They were a little bit choppy at the start. The emotion felt a little bit off. Now Reba's usually kind of poignant, but uplifting. I mean, I guess it depends on how they play it. My greatest of all time Reba in my book is from the Clifford Ball. All of them I kind of hold up to that one. This one, the emotion, I don't know if it's just me listening back to it. The energy, the emotion, the vibe, it felt, I don't know, maybe sad. Would you use the word sad? You listen to it. Yeah, I would say it had some emotion behind it. The first thing that I picked up after listening to the whole thing was the no whistling. Like that's like a little bit of a upbeat. I remember the best one I think I've heard at that point was It Festival, if I'm gonna compare, which I never do, but the one at It Festival was really good. And I love that song. I've heard other versions out before I heard this version, you know, just jamming it on disc. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I love the song. Um, and I like it when they end with whistling. It's just a little upbeat thing that they do, an oddity that we've talked about. This just seemed a little off because they missed a couple chords, it seemed like. Again, we always say we're not musicians, but I don't have virgin ears when it comes to this stuff. Like, you can kind of tell. I wish I could see the band right now, what they were doing. You know, video would, would do it justice, maybe, maybe. I definitely felt like it was the beginning of, wow, their emotions are getting to them and possibly maybe I thought this might not go as well as planned, which happens with every live band that you see. It's just not your show. But I didn't really know what direction they were going in, but on the re-listen, I, I felt I felt kind of bad for them. That's what I'll say. It's interesting that you mentioned the whistling because as you listen to 
Reba and it starts to peak and then they get to the top and then when they play the whole thing it goes into the whistling and ends with bag attack it, you know and it, it brings it back to that lighter tone this the jam was pretty tight through probably the last five minutes or so trey really brought a strong finish to it but when they get to that peak and then they just stop the song it kind of left you hanging a little bit emotionally because they didn't bring it back into that light-hearted whistling. Now, I feel like they did that by playing the Runaway Gym that came next, which was nice, real tight delivery. It wasn't very long, I think eight or nine minutes, but that gave that, all right, everybody take a breath, let's have a good time type of thing. So they started with this kind of heavy, introspective, maybe I always feel a little bit introspective when I listen to the Reba jam. Then they kind of, yeah, let's have some fun here. We'll throw it to this runaway gym. And, and there was some real nice interplay in that runaway gym between Trey and Paige. It was definitely a quality version, but it definitely lightened the mood after the Reba. Yeah. I mean, what did you think of their ass? I mean, the Nick, you and the sense, I love sense and subtle sounds. Now, I think you gave me shit about that. I, I don't know where we were. I would never. Uh, <laughs> But I think at first I was like, yeah, and then I really kind of fell in love with it. Again, just like the Runaway Gym, it's a strong version. It's it's something to like, but I really like that song now. And then they slip into a Wolfman's. Where did you think they were at that point based on that opening Reba? Because it's just good. That, that starting point for me on the re-listen is, well, I guess I'm giving away too much. Because <laughs> I'm like... It starts out that way. Let's just, okay, let's just say it. It starts out sad, emotional. There's something missing. And then they start to play, a, a, you know, some fish hits here. And they're strong versions. Yeah, the NICU and the sense on the re-listen, there were a couple of lyrics that stood out to me that kind of framed the time period. And NICU, nice evening at home that I dread even more. Just thinking about sitting at home these guys sitting at home instead of being out on the road playing 40 shows a year and then in the sense as they wrap up the chorus and they talk about in the void spectral colors in the void as we have experienced on you know now three different times with this band there is a huge void when they are not playing so that's kind of where i picked out from there but the wolfman's kind of made it feel you, you could lose yourself in the show, I think, starting with this Wolfman's. They got into a real nice funky jam that Paige kind of keyed. There's a, just a real nice groove that they lock into at about the five, six minute mark that is just so much fun. The other cool thing about this is if you look at the song times on this first set, the Wolfman's was 12, Sense and Subtle Sounds was 10, the Reba was 12. So you had a couple of lengthy not lengthy, but a little bit more involved tunes there. So the Wolfmans, they had a little bit of room to stretch their legs a little bit. That jam was a lot of fun. Yeah, and then they get into this, you know how you get those little surprises in your life when you re-listen to this stuff? That Walls. I haven't listened to that Walls, if we even had it on disc back in the day after this show, you know, and, and maybe I did, I can't remember, but listening to that, I, I've never heard a walls like that since kind of happy that i was there the walls is amazing the walls is incredible and one of the things i started to pick up on especially on the re-listen was fishman i know we talk a lot about fishman on this show rightfully so <laughs> rightly so 
Yes, of course. Great. They did name the band after him. <laughs> but starting in The Wolfman's, probably the last three, four minutes of The Wolfman's, Fishman starts hitting this crash symbol. And I kept hearing it. And then I kept hearing it more. And so then in the walls of the cave, I kept hearing it more. And every time I hear it, I go back to, I don't know if you've ever seen, it's called Anatomy of a Jam. It's a YouTube video. This guy, Amar, basically breaks down fish jams in very musical terms, but in musical terms that somebody like you or me could understand. Wait a minute, why are you putting me into that? You mean you? <laughs> yes. I was just trying to feel better about myself. And one of the ones that he did was the Nassau Tweezer. He talks about Fishman using that crash as a signal to shift the jam. This felt a little bit different. He was beating the shit out of that thing. Really takes off during the walls and then throughout, and then we'll talk about it a little bit more in the second set. But I, that is something, if you had not paid attention to, the next time you go back and listen to it, listen for that crash, and then you can't unhear it. And you'll be like, oh, there it is again. There it is again. And it really was, was he angry? Was he beaten on that thing? Was there some sort of symbolism? <laughs> is he just good? <laughs> yeah, and it makes you pay attention to it because you're a good listener and he knows he's got good listeners in the crowd. I, I definitely will. I think, you know, what flamed my fandom on that was the outro. I don't think I've ever heard an outro to a Walls now. I mean, I've heard that song a bunch as typically a close or towards the end of a first set close is usually, I felt like, where that placement is. Um, I love the song. You know, it's it's definitely underrated. It's something that I, I love that song. I, I've heard it a lot. And this one was special. It got off to a little bit of a rough start. They had a, a couple of flubs as they felt their way through. But this is another one where the lyrics kind of hit me on the re-list and I'm leaving thoughts for you. I hope that time will not erase. I'm a big fan of the Listen to the Silent Trees. And we were in SPAC Park. We had spent the day, you know, so that was, it was really cool. The jam in this, though, I mean, it was like a anthem rocker for the first nine minutes or so. And then they kind of bring it back to Walls of the Cave. And then they like take this crazy right turn into this jam that I felt like they were going to maybe bring it to a close. But all of a sudden, two seconds later, they're in like a type two groove that's kind of spacey, airy, the sun is going down, it's twilight time, and it was an awesome, awesome jam. I mean, obviously the jam of the set here, for sure. After that outro, I was like, oh, that was really good. I probably thought that was the end of the set. SPAC has this little bar in the back. I mean, it goes kind of along the back fence, or at least it did back then, but it was, it's a small venue. So I beelined it up there and I think I was in the back for the end of the set which was the Bowie which I love Bowie but I don't know kind of skipped over that one <laughs> the Bowie was great the transition from walls into Bowie was really smooth they really nailed that I think this is, was a strong finish and probably caught more than a few people by surprise but in all things considered this was still only a seven song set you know they're not playing 
10 or 12 songs here. They've got that Walls, which clocked in at 20, a few 12 minutes. I mean, that was a, some flubs aside. There were some well-developed and well-played parts of all of those songs in that first set. Obviously, with the Walls being the centerpiece, that wall still holds up today very, very nicely. You know, you could say that it was straightforward with some emotion, but you could say that it they were trying to dive into some stuff. There were still a lot of hits in in that first set. So uh, let's just recap that first set for everybody. From SPAC, 61904, Reba, Runaway Jim, NICU, Sense and Subtle Sounds, Wolfman's Brother, Walls of the Cave, and the set close was Bowie. Pretty straightforward, but there's some nuggets in there. I think we found some. Yeah, good set. You know, quite, we, we definitely unearthed some stuff there. Absolutely. Set two, a song I heard the ocean sing, Piper, Jabu, Limb by Limb, and end the set with a cavern, encore, waiting in the Velvet Sea. Let's be honest, it's a five-song second set. If you're looking at that on a re-listen, you should pay attention. Five songs, second set. Five-song second set. Shout out to my buddy, five-song second set on Twitter. Guys like my spirit animal, dude. Teacher. Lives in Maryland. Cool guy. Does he have a beard? He does. <laughs> Golden Retriever. I mean, loves good music. Does he wear flat brims? Uh, I don't know. We sent him some stubby down stickers. He's he's a good guy and bubbling with positivity. I can't wait to meet him and others once we get back on the lot. Anyway, five songs, second set. Let's start off with the song I heard the ocean sing. This is where set two is set two. Which was only the second time they played this tune. They debuted it two nights before in Brooklyn. It opened the show. And that was yeah, seven minute run through. It's nice. They played it real tight. This jam to open the second set is ridiculous. I listened to this probably a dozen times in the last week. It is just so good. And the jam, they really get right into it. At about five minutes, they are in this thing. So you've got a little bit of a rock jam, and then they get into this three or four minute blissful, spacey jam that is just some of the most beautiful fish that I have heard really ever. And this version of a song I heard the ocean sing is still by far my favorite that I have seen of this song. I mean, it is just, they, they have this bliss jam and then it just starts to get super dirty at about 13 minutes. Fishman is riding that crash symbol again. The end of it is unreal. They're jamming and there is just a buttery smooth transition back into the formal part of a song I heard the ocean sing to bring it to its conclusion. I mean, it is 18 minutes of spectacular music. And I go back to what we talked about at the top of the show. I listened to something like this and it's like, what are they doing? Why are they leaving? This is a brand new song that this is the second time they've played it and they just did that with it. They're still creating. How could they be calling it quits, man? That's how I felt, especially after the re-listen. And now I'm much more attached to this version because it wasn't the last time I ever saw it. But man, this is one of the, uh, incredible. I don't want to get into rankings here on Stub Me Down, but this <laughs> is one of the best jams that I think I, I saw in all of 2.0 for sure. 
do you like it? <laughs> I mean, second time playing, it was the first time for us. And I, as far as catalog and understanding the material in 04, what they play and what this was, I probably was like, I don't know what this is. It is good on the re-listen, and if you're not like a fan of it or you're kind of new to it, it's okay to be a noob. I was, right? Isn't it okay to be, it's okay to be a noob. Like nobody knows, you don't know everything. We had both heard it twice. We heard it at the movie theater. Right. On June 17th, and then we heard it this night. On June, I've only seen nine of them total, which seems like not that many. One of the other very memorable ones, they opened, the first Mexico run in 2016 with a song I heard in the ocean set. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, that's what I mean. It's like it, it, not every part of their catalog is going to hit for you. And then you might not know what it is. Just know that there might be a guy, probably a dude, like, you don't know this. <laughs> Tell that guy to kiss your ass and move on and just listen to it. This is an excellent version of a, I don't know this, but kiss my ass guy next to me i'm gonna listen to it and be fully involved and on the re-listen it's it's absolutely gorgeous like you said i mean it's it's chock full of stuff right as is the next song which is piper coming in at 32 minutes what's that nerd do you have there i mean this is the longest piper that they've ever played okay 32 minutes i mean 32 minutes is up there for some of the longer fish tunes that aren't not even not even being song specific you know they obviously they played a lot of 30 minute versions of different things but you know when they get into the 30 minute territory you're venturing into much different territory than your 25 minute jams really they really are out there when they start to go over 30 minutes on a jam I mean, it is a half hour, dude. I mean, it's like a... <laughs> and not to mention the fact that they just played, you know, an 18-minute opener of the set. So you're talking about almost an hour, 50 minutes of music in these two songs. And they are epic versions of these songs, no doubt. Now, I saw Piper at my first show. So I have a, I've, I have a long relationship with Piper. And here's something that you might not have ever known about me, Skinny. After that first show, which was August 8th, 1998 at Merriweather Post, great show. They play Piper, and I'm obsessed with, what were they saying? I could, you couldn't make it out from the lawn at Merriweather. And so we're in the car, we're on the way back. I'm asking my buddy, what were they saying? And he was new, it was his first show too. And he's like, I don't know. So the next day I talked to another person and he told me what the words were. And you know, Piper, Piper, the red, red worm, woke last night to the sound of the storm, the words are words I sailed upon. And I wrote them down and I put them in my wallet and I carried the lyrics to Piper around in my wallet for, God, probably 10 years. Noob. That's all you have to say. It's like you don't need to know the words. I know, but it's not like it's like one sentence. I couldn't remember that, but for some reason, I just it just hit me in a in a, a specific way at that time, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna write that down on an index card, fold it up, and stick it in one of those <laughs> pockets in your wallet that you never go into. And that's exactly what I did. And the jam here, it was a shorter intro. 
I was a big fan of the real slow build intro pipers. There are a lot of great pipers out there. Uh, we talked about one from Hershey in season one in the Stop Start Jam episode. Piper's a very fun tune and they can really take it to a lot of different places and that's just in a short jam. This jam, I mean, at four minutes you were like halfway to the moon blasting off. I mean, they were just playing at such a quick pace. Then they get a little bit funky. It was just crazy. And then like after that funk part, they completely switch directions and go to a little bit of a darker place. And that jam has a much different feel than the way it started. And there's really just a, a ton of layers, probably four, five, six different components of this jam. Yeah, it's funny because you say six, like I'm like nine. <laughs> it's got this smoky thing that they do with it. Obviously, Mike is doing something. We can talk about the end of the jam in a little bit, but right around that 15 minute mark, there's something that's going on there where they're super in sync. Then it crescendos again. I, I counted like nine jams. Did you catch the tweezer or tweezer-ish tease was right around that 15 minute mark? So I listened to it again. I did hear some of that, the bottom of that. I felt like later on in the jam, they really crescendoed it. Maybe in like the end, like 20, I'm saying the end with 10 minutes more left of it, <laughs> which, you know, pretty much equates to another tune in the first set. I felt like then they took it really off at the 22. And then that leaves the end, the last five to six minutes, which then goes back for me. I felt like in that smoky place. I mean, you want to talk about Fishman right there. Go ahead, please, because he does it again. It's crazy. He was riding that crash pretty hard. Trey was running a hook from about 16 minutes for probably three to four minutes. And it is just such a cool groove. And it leads into this other jam that they do that you're just talking about with that, you know, where they return to that smoky feel. Fishman's hitting that crash and he just brings this thing home. The last five minutes is just, I mean, it's mind blowing how good of a drummer he is, man. It's just so crazy. I think one of the things that I probably have gained even maybe a deeper appreciation for him because of Stub Me Down, because you know, you're listening to these, these shows over and over and over again in different ways each time, and maybe listening to Fish, and we've obviously talked a lot about him. Sometimes he's overrated, sometimes he's underrated. <laughs> that conversation again. I don't think that's ever going to die. Right. But the ability of him to kind of lead from behind is really very impressive. And I thought he I thought he did a masterful job bringing this thing in for a landing the last five or six minutes or so. Yeah, Mike is right there, too, who hooks into that. When that drops in a little bit, you're just hearing that long and Mike drops right into that jaboo, and then they all just follow right back. And the jaboo wasn't that transition into the jaboo unreal. I mean, it just, Mike picked up that bass line. Yeah, yeah. Played it for a couple of seconds, and then Trey hooked into it, and oh my God, man, that is the seg that dreams are made of. <laughs> That's really good, because it's true. 
because it's I, I've listened to that seg a couple times just because I wanted to hear the last five minutes of that Piper what they were doing there which isn't even Piper it's just them together in sync synchronous and that's a joyous part of the show you know we started off a little bit rough and then that's what's great about this band you know there's going to be something for everybody in there and then this there's something for everybody in this yeah yeah and the jibu was good i mean it was tight it wasn't very long you're still talking eight and a half nine minutes or so it was a real nice jam the band was really feeling very good. I'm a, I love the Jabu loop that they do. It doesn't matter how long or short the Jabu is. I'm going to get a Jabu loop. I'm going to be happy about it. Just listening to the end of that Piper into the beginning of Jabu, I could just play that on repeat, you know? It's just so smooth, so clean. That's one of the things that I, and many others obviously, absolutely love about this band is how they do that. It's just so fluid. It's a beautiful thing to hear and to see. You know, then they get into the limb by limb, which was another 12 minute jam. And limb by limb, I think, is an underrated fish song. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is a really good version of it. I feel like now when I hear it 3.0 or when I hear it at 3.0, like it was really, really good. I always loved it. I love the lyrics to it. I'm not going to sing to you, but <laughs> I love that song. To hear that version of it, it is underrated. You know, they drop in at the end of the set, a cavern. So we kind of sandwich this thing that we started off with here with this cavern, where I wonder with such great jamming and such really good music from that night, do they sandwich the emotion that they had in the first song with the bottom and the encore? And to me, they did there, Josh. You know, it's a funny thing about Cavern. Trey always forgets the words no matter where they are in the timeline. This time he forgets the entire second verse. I think he tries to make up for it with that little purple haze tease that he dropped in about two and a half minutes into it. Right. Usually when he goofs the lyrics or misses something, you know, it's funny, it's a joke. And this time the crowd cheers and everything, but I don't I don't think he thought it was that funny. I mean, I don't know. I wish I could remember seeing his face or whatever. He didn't have the reaction that he might usually have if it was not during this tour. Yeah, it's more noticeable, I think, going back and hearing that then when we were there, I'm sure, we probably laughed ourselves. It just doesn't seem like he was. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we probably did, and that's what I, I love about the crowd. The crowd kind of helped him out there, and it's no big deal, we love you kind of thing, which that's what's great about fans. Do you really care? <laughs> you know, I'll go back to that guy calling you a noob. Whatever, man. We're just trying to lift him up. He just didn't look, or well, see, I said look like I know what he looked like. <laughs> he didn't sound as if it was funny. Where if he did that the first show back, you know that he would laugh. He might even stop. We gotta start this over again. You know, it would be a big running joke, which is what I've always loved about them. And maybe the joke was over just a little bit because again, going back to our conversation in the beginning, it's the end of the road, or so everyone thinks in 2004. And we certainly did. That's why we were going to Coventry. We were trying to catch as many as we could before it was all over. I definitely felt like that disappointment, but I was glad to be with you. We had some other friends we were traveling with, a little bit of a crew, obviously. And 
we were trying to catch this and enjoy it one more time. Concerts are great, man, and Fish puts on a great show, so I think we were probably a little bit sad, too. Oh, yeah. You're coming to the end of something. You're trying to be glad that it happened and not be sad that it's ending. That's a tough balance. Felt like there were a lot of people that were really fucked up. The energy of the crowd was mixed. There were some people there that were drunk and happy, and there were some people there that were drunk and sad. That's an interesting dichotomy to have when everybody's at the same event, you know? Yeah, it can be a bad mix. (laughs) You know, and then they end with Velvet Sea. That in itself is kind of a sad, melancholy tune to walk us out to. And, I, you know, obviously we're going the next night, so it wasn't that big of a deal. But that's kind of a deflating note to end just such an amazing show a couple of 20 minute jams you're talking a 30 plus minute jam you've got a bunch of 10 plus minute jams a five song second set this was a great show and that's why i use the term nearly epic at the beginning because the end of it with the the cavern and the velvet sea it felt like maybe the rug was pulled out a little bit at the end yeah we'll have to maybe pull that stub for this second night another time and rewind and maybe come up with some determination of what it really was like emotionally but i I definitely feel like we hit on something there because the sandwich for me of that reba like you said that cavern and and waiting at the end yeah this is something doesn't line up right there with the rest of the sandwich You know what I mean? Like, did you send it back? And you and I have been there just in the waiting game. But the meat of the the entire show was wonderful. And I I think it's just those two pieces, which, you know, you can't send them back. You were there. It's too late. I would recommend to anybody that's going to go back and listen to this show, definitely listen to this in the pair. Listen to June 19th. Listen to the next night, the June 20th show, which is also very good. And if you're of a mind and you have it handy, read the Fish Companion's description of this week of fish because it will surprise you what their take is. And I will not steal their thunder because I don't know if there's copyright issues, whatever. (laughs) You would have to quote it and nobody can see us. I would have to quote it with air quotes. They have a very interesting description about this being one of the best weeks in fish history up to this point. So it's an interesting perspective to go back, listen to these two shows, all with the very safe feeling of knowing that it was not the end, but it was just at that time. I'm glad that we've seen many, many shows since then. So uh, let's just recap that second set. A song I heard the ocean sing, Piper, Jabu, Limb by Limb, Cavern, and ends it all with Waiting in the Velvet Sea. Dubs, you got anything else, man? Yeah, we, in the course of being on Fish Twitter and being a largely fish, but jam music related podcast, have made some friends, as I mentioned couple of people earlier. One of our new friends is the host of a really cool show called Attendance Bias. His name is Brian. And Brian takes a look at different shows. He has different guests on his show to talk about 
concerts that they have been to all in the fish realm. He tries to take a look at shows that his guests find interesting. So he had Skinny and me on for an episode. We won't tell you what show it is, but it was a very good show. A lot of fun to be with him. And, you know, Skinny, I never thought I'd be a guest on somebody else's podcast. Right. I thought we would just be our own guests for the rest of this entire thing, like whenever we stop, you know. That also, for this season, we're going to have a few guests on ourselves. We're going to bring in a bunch of different people over the course of the season. We're going to talk about a lot of different music, and we hope that you continue to check us out, man. And hopefully, hopefully, by the time some of these episodes start to hit, we will know one way or the other, whether we're going to be hanging out in the parking lot. Come on by and mention Stub Me Down, you'll get a free sticker. Yeah, that's awesome. And we always want to maintain that community. It's been difficult this past year. I can't believe it's been almost a year. Man, crazy. It's, it's crazy. And think about it this way, Skinny. We came up with this idea almost a year ago. It's probably the end of March that we came up with it because I was... I had just gotten out of my sling from having shoulder surgery. That's when the whole stub me down idea came to fruition. And look at us now, buddy. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited. We have a sticker. <laughs> <laughs> People actually listen to it. You know, my students ask me about it. I, you know, I don't give too much intel. I'm like, ask your parents if you can listen. It's not <laughs> get them to sign a permission slip. Exactly. <laughs> I might have to like write a disclaimer. I'm not really sure, but I'm so happy to do it. And uh, I'm glad that we're reaching out to that community, which reminds me, I wanted to kind of mention two people. One is fan designs, Scott Mitchell, who's a, a friend of ours, who sent us some really great t-shirts. I snagged the antelope shirt. Josh snagged the game hen shirt. Wearing the game hen shirt right now. It fits great. Yeah, that's all. Uh, he is wearing it right now. I can attest to that. Yeah, you can find him definitely on Instagram at P-H-A-N-D-E-S-I-G-N-Z. It's got that Z at the end. He follows us. Scott Mitchell, he's got great reviews. His stuff is awesome. His shirts are comfortable. Plus, he's a friend of ours, so we always want to help him out. And one more time, we'll, we'll mention who the first guy that came to mind when we did this. I don't know how this happened. I think it was just like Twitter. Josh's Hot Dogs, Josh Kaplan, sent us two shirts, which are super sweet. If you're ever in the area, you can look him up too. He's on Instagram as well. Uh, and hopefully, if you're not on the lot by Primal Soup, that's three people. I said two. <laughs> I said a couple. If you haven't checked out the lot by Primal Soup, there are so many different vendors that are community-based and you can find all kinds of stuff. I obviously can't talk about each one and every person that's involved with that, but definitely check them out and they connect you with other people that might fit whatever needs you have as far as clothing, whatever. It's always good to buy from reputable you know, small business people that, that are part of our community and we want to support them on this podcast. And we hope that you support us and we really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks. The lot brings us all together. We're not in the lot and it's still nice to have a virtual lot, especially because us hippies, we got to keep our shirts fresh. <laughs> I know, dude. It's like, how much gear do I really need? But I do. I love it. So whatever. I love it. Hey, we want to say thank you to everybody that tuned in. We are beyond grateful for those of you that have spent some time with us, listened to the first season. 
listen to the special episodes. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, you can follow us on Instagram at stub underscore me underscore down. And we are also on Twitter at the same address, stub underscore me underscore down. Always happy to make some new friends. Hopefully we'll be able to see everybody on the lot very, very soon. We are excited to continue the stub me down journey with you all. Season two. I'm so excited. Thanks so much, brother. Love you. Yeah, buddy. Great time. Great time talking about this show. June 19th, 2004, Saratoga Performing Arts Center, otherwise known as SPAC, up in upstate New York. Go check it out. Check out the second night, too. There are some nuggets from both of those that you will enjoy. That's it for us. Thanks so much again for listening to Stub Me Down, and we will see you the next time you need to get out of your shitty seats and down to the path. Later. Later.